make you so special? Why did he bless you? Think about it. I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning. Gotta smile when I say that shit. Ah! And we're live with Joel Getters, which is this this episode is a continuation of the last episode, number forty-four. I'm back, motherfuckers. <laughs> so, so we uh, we left on the quantum eraser, and you were going to explain the double slit. Okay, so Wait, double slit what? Double slit experiment. It's like okay. one of the most famous physics experiments of the last century. Right. Um. So. Take this off. Due to a lot of the new theories that came out in like the early 1900s uh, in terms of like quantum theory, uh, like the Heisenberg uncertainty, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, a lot of other like really revolutionary ideas in physics, people were starting to ask all sorts of questions about the fundamental way that matter behaves because they were starting to be shown in the math that when you break things down to a certain degree there's not that much of a difference between photon which is like a bundle of light like energy right and like an electron which is a piece of matter um like there were can you state that one more time what's what was the distinction between the uh the electron and the photon uh simply Electron is a piece of matter, a very small piece of matter. A photon is a very small bundle of energy. Okay. But what they were starting to see with certain quantum theories is that, um, like, under certain conditions, the two, even though they're fundamentally different objects, at least in the way that our brains had been conceiving of them for the past however many hundreds of years, could behave the same. So Uh the double slit experiment is like one of the big things in this whole f- in this whole phenomenon. So if you shine a if you shine a light through one slit, like it you'll just see a slit of light on the other side. Okay. When you shine a light through two slits, you get what's called a wave interference pattern. You like you can look it up if you want to. Does see it bend it. light? It, it doesn't bend the light, but basically the light behaves as a wave. So what happens when it goes through those two slits is the wave splits. And it goes forward as two separate waves through those two slits that interfere with each other. Does it... Excuse me. Does it, does it recombine? Well, that's, that's how you get that interference pattern. The waves don't necessarily recombine as much as they interact with each other in such a way that, like... Just look it up real quick. It'll okay. make this. It'll make this really easy for you for me to explain it. But w- what happens more or less is, so, uh, instead of getting two lines of light on the other end, you get a bunch of bands of light, which you're probably about to see on there. Should I give a video or an image? Just an image. Double slit light pattern. The grapes. Well, okay, yeah. So this this will help. So this is for an electron. So this is a step further. But to stay where we are right now, imagine this were a light. You would get this pattern. If this were if this were a light source instead of an electron source, mm-hmm. you would get the same pattern. And that was the big thing about the double slit experiment because. So Wait, I don't understand. So there, there's an electron going through two slits. Well, yeah. So let, yeah, let me get to it. Let okay. me get to it. So 
like I said, when you put light, when you put a light through one slit, you get that one. You'll get one band. When you put light through two slits, the wave, like the light wave, splits, and the two waves interact with each other on the other side of the plate here. And there's this thing that takes place called interference, basically where certain parts of the waves meet each other and they cancel, but the waves don't completely cancel out. So you get like this kind of pattern on the other side instead of just seeing two slits. This is so confusing to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, it's all good. It's all good. This is like really heady shit. Okay. So like, like, okay. So can I draw this again out yeah, for totally, you? Totally. So I wish I could find that page I drew on earlier. So oh, I'm not, cool. ah, fuck it. All right. <laughs> There will be more notebooks. So when you go, when the light goes through these two slits here, right. and you have a screen to receive everything on the other side. So there's one wave. We'll just these lines represent a wave. One wave going through. What happens when it goes through the two slits is the wave gets split, and as it goes out, it fans out, and both of them do this. So what happens as they fan out is certain parts overlap and cancel each other out. So instead of seeing just two lines on this side because of certain, or just like, you know, a band of light on this side, because those spots cancel, you get like a line of light here, 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 you know, like corresponding to basically like what parts of that wave didn't interfere with the other wave. So okay. that, so you end up with that pattern. Okay. And why this, and why they show an electron here? Because you're like, well, wait. If that's how light behaves, and light is energy, what about an electron? Electrons matter. So when they put an electron through a single slit, you just get one slit on the other side. Like basically, the electrons form a single slit on the other side. But when you put an electron through two slits, you get this exact same pattern. So basically, for anybody listening, it's a. Uh... It's a double slit, which is the first. Uh, so when you shine an elect, so when you shine light through two slits, uh -huh. you get this like you get basically a bunch of vertical, or you get well, a bunch. On here, it's five different slits. Well, on the well, well, the number of slits is really kind of arbitrary and determined by how far out you go because like if you notice like uh, okay. we'll like think about it like the further lines out aren't quite as intense like. So, like I said, light is a wave, and the wave, wave is going to propagate over space from its source. So the further away from the source you get, the further the wave is going to spread out. Totally. And that's, that's actually why the further you get away from a light source, the less you notice it, because the intensity of that light as you're experiencing it is spread out over a longer distance. Wow. So, and like, so that's so going to be, it's going to be a lighter shade than what we well, show so, on the first screen. Well, so like the center is going to be a thicker band than towards the outsides of it, which are a little bit more faint. And like what I'm getting at is, so as, so that whole like the wave fanning out over space, uh -huh. that's what happens when you put the light through two slits is both the wave splits into two waves that fan out over space. But as they fan out, they run into each other. And those spots where they run into each other are where the dark spots come in here. The spots where they move unimpeded is where the light bars come. Like where you see bands of light. Okay. Like, so that's the light. 
That is energy. That's the way energy behaves when you put it through two slits. Uh-huh. And where the mind fucky part comes in is so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Electrons are pieces of matter, little bundles of matter. Uh huh. When you shoot them through two slits, just like how they show here, uh huh, you get the exact same result as if it was a beam, as, as if it was a beam of light. So, th- think about this. If the electron were just a single particle, right. Or if the electron were behaving like a single physical particle, it would go through one slit or the other. Okay. And you'd get two bands on this side. Or you'd get two bands on the screen on the other side. How would you get two bands if it's going through... Well, we'll think about it. Like, if it's, if it's just a simple particle, think about it like... A particle should behave like you're throwing a ball through two separate little hoops. Like, think about it, you're throwing... Think about it like you got a you got a tennis ball and a velcro wall on the other side, and between you you have two little like hoops to throw through. Okay. Your ball because of those two hoops, like the idea with how this experiment was supposed to work is you're gonna throw a ball through one of those two holes, and you're gonna get because it's going through one of those two holes, you're gonna get basically two lines on the other side, or like two groupings of matter on the other side okay but they didn't they got the result that would happen if the electron behaved like it were a bundle of light the electron matter behaved in a wave fashion like light like energy and so the like you get this pattern the reason you get this pattern on the other side is in the space between here and here and here and here the electron goes through every possible, like basically, in the double slit experiment, it shows that first off, matter behaves like energy at small fundamental levels, A, and B, that to a certain degree, like matter, what we thought was this finite thing, like, like for this to be possible, it has to go through both slits, neither slit, every single thing that you could think is possible. Literally every describable reality for what the electron does is possible. And like I said, including not going through either slit at all. Wow. So they, are they able to explain how this works? How the electron works like a, a photon? Well, that's the thing is like when you get down to it in quantum theory... Like, in terms of the mathematics, that's uh-huh. kind of the point this proved, is that mathematically, an electron and a photon, a basic, like, tiny bundle of matter and a tiny bundle of energy, aren't fundamentally that different. They exhibit similar behaviors, similar patterns. Okay. And so, like, why, why I, like, bring this up, so that quantum eraser thing I was talking about, because last time we talked about, like, Quantum computing bridged into quantum, into like quantum coherence. So, in like the weird world of science, so they recently did a variation of this experiment because they've been running it for decades, trying to improve it, figure out conditions. Like, they've been trying to explain all of the results for this for decades. Wow. Like, we still don't fully understand everything that happens here to a certain degree. Right. 
because they've observed this effect of happening even with like large molecules. These things called buckyballs, which are like basically balls of carbon atoms. Okay. They've like whole molecules. Like we're talking like on the atomic scale, so that's like, you know, a pinhead. We're talking molecules that are the size of relative to that, like a grape or larger. Oh wow. It exhibit the same behavior under certain conditions. Really? So it's so is it the the I guess chemical makeup you, you ate it. <laughs> the the chemical makeup of that of that carbon that's in and the size does it really di differentiate the behavior of it or well it's just more so further to the point that like matter behaves like energy under certain conditions like we think of matter we think of matter as if like you know we think of this pen as a finite point in reality that occupies a set space uh-huh but in say say like Say the electron is a pen in this situation. Between here and here, and between here and here, this pen is not a physical object, but a wave that occupies a certain set of space. So this this seems to... I, I, I feel like I'm not fully understanding or wrapping my mind around like the what this could mean, but what it kind of seems is the... Uh, the possibility of teleportation like we were talking about on the last podcast. Well, so like, th that's my thing, it, and kind of why I brought this up is like, a lot of the questions for what we could do are still so up in the air because of all of the possibilities about just the fundamental factors of like the quantum world. So going on into this, you know, I'd mentioned like the quantum eraser. So the quantum eraser is a version of this double slit experiment where they basically, they tried to figure out, like, because uh, there are certain aspects of this whole experiment that seemed to violate certain, like, concepts that just were fundamental to our understanding of physics. I mean, like... Like laws, laws of physics. Yeah, like... We, we had basically kind of been an unwritten law that matter and energy fundamentally behave different. I mean, like, to a certain degree, if you want to consider, like, mathematical equations of classical physics laws, we actually had laws that were like, these are fundamentally different objects that behave fundamentally differently. And suddenly we find out, like, no, that's wrong. Like, and, okay, the fucked up part of all, let me, let me explain this. So at first they tried this with shooting just a bunch of electrons out. And they got this pattern. They're like, well, what if we just shoot one electron at a time uh -huh. so that they couldn't possibly interfere with each other? They got the same result. They got this result firing what one... What the fuck? Yeah, dude. One electron is going through double slits? One, electro one electron is going through both slits, neither slit, and just magically teleporting onto the other side all at once. Like, and every possibility inside and beyond that. That is the most indescribable thing I've <laughs> ever heard in my life. It gets weirder, man. It gets what? weirder. So this version of the... Uh, you should probably look up a description real quick, because I know I'm going to fuck this up. Okay. <laughs> look up quantum eraser experiment. But basically, they were trying, like... 
they were kind of like trying to determine like what exactly does the electron do or does the particle do in this experiment that causes this behavior. And there we go. Should we read it out? Yeah. A delayed choice quantum eraser experiment first performed by, oh wow, Yoon Ho Kim. Shout out. I'm not going to name all the people. R U P Kulik Y H She, I think, and Marlon O. Scully. Respect. <laughs> yeah, I was about to give up. And reported in early 1999 is an elaboration on the quantum eraser experiment that incorporates concept considered. Uh, okay, yeah, this isn't going to help people out. Diagram time. Oh, sweet. Bang, bang. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, wow. So... So what they do is... No, you're fine. I'm just writing down uh, the time, so I'm, I'm gonna like overplay a uh, image on the video. Okay, I got you. So essentially, like I said, they were kind of like trying to figure out what exactly is going on in this whole, like, because one of the implications of this whole experiment is that like, in that space between the gener like between whatever generates the particle source and the screen that detects where the particle hits, uh -huh. um, a lot of things are possible. A lot of, like, a lot of things are possible. Right. And they wonder, like, they did all sorts of things to try to figure out what's happening, but whenever we try to directly observe what happens to the particles, the funny thing is, we actually end up getting just the single double slit. The simple double slit, I should mean. Say, say that one more time. So, when you do the double slit experiment, so one of the first things they did to try to figure out, okay, what's going on with the particles? They did a measuring device on either side. That, well, I mean, they've done variations of the experiment where they put a measuring device on either side of the slit, like two slits, to try to like physically see what the particles are doing, but it turns out our instruments that we use to detect them influence that quantum information such that we end up just seeing a regular two slits. So when we don't have anything observing that space between generation and detection, we get an interference pattern, okay. an energy pattern, a wave pattern, something completely mind fucky to us. When we do that same experiment, but other than the detection screen on the other side of the slits, we add in additional measuring devices, we only we see it behave just like normal matter with two slits. Okay. So we've done all these kinds of crazy things to try to basically... Because some scientists have said, like, you know, it's almost like the universe is on to us trying to figure out its tricks. So we've done all they these types of... switches up everything. Yeah. And we've tried to do all these crazy experiments to basically, like, 
get around nature trying to trick us and keep us out. Right. Uh, so this experiment is one of those ways. So as you can see here, there's like the laser beam generates some, the laser beam generates a source. It goes through the two slits and then one of them is put into a beam splitter. So like, is that what the BS says? Uh, yeah, these... yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Oh, God. Oh, God. This is so, like, this is very difficult to get at with this. Let me see if there's a better diagram real quick. Sorry. There you go. Oh. Oh, perfect. This explains everything. Oh, there we go. Nice. Okay. Dope. So yeah, this light source sends two photons through th through the slits. So this A right here, or that's a that's a slit. Yeah. Okay. So A and B are slits, and then this is a crystal. Oh, it says it right there. It splits each photon into two identical photons, and when it says entangled there, what that means is this quantum effect that we've shown that basically like. Two particles, okay, this is its own mindfuck on its own, we can get into this too if you want, but quantum entanglement is this concept, Einstein fucking hated it, it's hilarious, because like, it's actually a consequence of some of his equations, but he fucking hated it because it violated certain principles of our universe, uh, such as locality, basically the concept that, you know, this grape can only influence things immediately around it, like, this grape has no influence on something, uh, in a whole nother galaxy. Uh -huh. That's the principle of locality. Um, the other thing, I keep using grapes for, the, for these references. <laughs> it's great. Grapes were a good idea. Um, but I can't remember wh what some of the other principles were, but like quantum entanglement is this notion that any two particles that are entangled by some original event, like they have some initial interaction that makes them connected, be it a chemical event, something like that, or in this case, it's one bundle of energy that's split into two, uh -huh. they end up uh, having this effect where, say, if photon A is here with us, and photon B is off in another galaxy. If I spin photon A, R, photon here one way, without any delay, there will be an immediate noticeable effect on photon B across the- How? How, yeah. Well, like, you could probably write a, you, you could, if you could answer that question succinctly, right. you could get, like, every prize in physics. Right, right, wow. Like, but like one of the things that that implies is like this concept that fundamental to us is like the concept of locality. Uh -huh. The concept that like, you know, I can only influence what I can touch. But it turns out that at the fundamental level, our reality influences itself in ways we couldn't comprehend. Like, and one of the like real implications of this is like, Or one of the real, like, interesting things about this is if you think about it, 
There's a question if the Big Bang Theory is true, was that an entangling event? Is you with that? Well, so like an entanglement event is something that links two particles in such a way that they are considered entangled. Like they experience this phenomenon of no matter how far apart you separate them, you can influence information on one by altering information on another, regardless of distance, and it will be instant. That is that's just so, so mind blowing. Well, and so like I said, there's like a question then. Is the Big Bang considered an entangling event, and therefore is every particle in our universe connected in that sense? Because, like, we like to think that, you know, things are... Everything separate. Yeah. Well, and going off of that, there's actually an... Is consciousness connected? Sorry, sorry, I cut you off. Well, no, I mean, that's, like, that's the whole point. Like, what, to what degree is our reality connected to itself? Like, there's this one guy that, like, said, you know... Because, so what the state that the particle exists in, in, like, the double-slit experiment, where it's... Yeah, screw it. Between, like... Between the particle source and the detection... It's in the state called quantum superposition, which means that it is in literally every possible place it could be. Like, and I mean, we're talking like, it's here, 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 and like everywhere in the universe that's not shown on this diagram. Wow. Like, I mean, like, theoretically, that is the state it occupies. It is every possible place it could be. Now this thing, now the thing is like... Everything has a our universe kind of runs on probability, and so like every possible position contrib contributes to the probability of where it is. So it, it's messy, but like there's this whole hypothesis out there that it, that basically states like, what if our entire universe is like so that superposition thing? You know, the particle is doing everything, including like interacting with itself. And that's like any time the particle is unobserved. Because when we put in, like I said, when we put in observation equipment, the particle snaps into behaving like normal matter. You get two bands on the screen. And you don't, it basically collapses the quantum superposition. But so, okay. so something unobserved, though, exists in that nebulous infinite state. And there's basically this hypothesis out there that's, what if our entire universe is one single unobserved particle interacting with itself in every possible iteration that it could embody across space-time? It's... I, I, I don't know. I guess it is kind of plausible if, if, if based on everything else that you've said so far... It, it's only a hypothesis. But right. Like, it's, it's actually a surprisingly plausible one. Based on, based, like, like, if you would have just said that at the start of this podcast, I would have been like, I don't know about that. But it, based on, like, like the, 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 that's what I'm still so, like, brain broken, just mind blown on the fact that a, a photon can be here and then over in Europe right now or wherever, anywhere else in the universe. And, it, like, theoretically, everywhere in the universe. Yes. And theoretically, anything that is unobserved is everywhere. Inclu and, including not existing at all, and this this kind of ties back into is it isn't it like Buddhist philosophy like uh, like all is one 
one is all kind of deal? Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny, like, because, like, if you look at, like, Buddhism, because there's a little bit more formal doctrine to it, not so much, but, like, if you really read, like, Taoist texts, um, like, like, one of my favorite lines of Taoism is one of the first lines of the Tao Te Ching, and that is, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. Like, and basically the Tao and Taoism is, like, this indescribable universe that is forever beyond us that if you claim to understand, you have no clue of. Right, right. Like, and, like, it kind of states, like, every different... Like, that's why I mentioned to you earlier, like, I don't like binary logic. That's why... That, that's a large part of where that whole thought process comes from, because, like, our reality is so much... It's so much more than it, is it this or that. This or that is a construction we've made. Our reality clearly is a lot further beyond that. Like, is it matter or energy? Well, it depends. Like, and sometimes it's neither. Like, and, and so the, getting back to this before I forget it. Or sometimes it's both. Maybe? Yeah, no, like seriously. Just, like, it's just any possibility. Exactly. Like that's that's like the that's the implication of quantum theory is like How at the fundamental that? level like okay, according to quantum theory between the, that little pause I took there and the time between that the last word I said and the next thing I said for all intents and purposes, I could have gone to Mars, come back, and, yeah, like, teleported to Mars, come back. That's theoretically possible. Now, like I said, now, like I said, the universe runs on probabilities, and due to the nature of the particles that make us up, and the way they interact, some things are a lot more probable than others, and therefore end up being the reality, but that doesn't mean that the less likely things are impossible. They're just less likely. Exactly, exactly. Like, the chance of me staying in this seat right now is far greater than the chance of me being teleported to Mars. But that's not to say that theoretically it could not happen. It, Under well, the right conditions. If it, if it happens, is there, any, is there any time that has lapsed? Or is it just so instant that like I'm not even able to like perceive it? Well, so that's a whole other question because uh, like that's one of the things that this experiment really like the quantum eraser experiment got really famous for. Why it's called the quantum eraser? Basically, what happens is so you send the photon through. You split it so you have pairs of entangled particles going off in different directions. So here, D, the Ds here stand for detectors. So you have all these detectors here. Uh-huh. And like I said, what they're, what they're trying to do in this experiment is trick the universe. They're trying to basically make the universe think they aren't observing something they're observing. And this is one of many in a series of experiments that, like I said, is trying to explain that difference between the wave interference pattern of unobserved electron double-slit experiments and the simple two-band pattern that you get in observed double-slit experiments. What explains the difference in its behavior strictly due to the observation? And that's what they're trying to figure out here. They're trying to... So, you have detector one, 
uh -huh. the beams split and you have entangled pairs. So what that means is you can infer the information of one from the other, basically, because of how they're linked. To a certain degree. Okay. Like, like the simplest way they explain it is like, if you have a photon spinning over here and it's entangled and you, and you alter its spin in some direction, the photon that it's entangled with, its spin is going to alter in some way. Not necessarily the same way. But like space, the space between these two photons. Oh, that's irrelevant. Dude. That's irrelevant. What the fuck? The space, but that's like why Einstein hated quantum entanglement is space is literally irrelevant. So is time irrelevant too? Because space and time, there's a correlation. Well, space, time, so that's, that's a, that's a, I'm going to take a little side tangent for this. People need to stop thinking of space and time. It's called space... Like, have you ever heard the term space-time? Yeah, I, I read it in A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. How He kind of explained how it's, it's one combined thing. So, yeah, think about it like... Space is the fabric. Time is our description of things that happen to that fabric. Okay. Like... It's too, like, okay, when we talk about space, we talk about the stage. When we talk about time, we talk about how this, we're talking about changes in the stage. Okay. It's not, talk, they're not fundamentally different things. They're both descriptors of the same thing. It's just depending on what part you're looking at. Are you looking at what alterations are happening at, and, like, how they're occurring? And is like, you know, are you looking for basically time is the warping of space to a certain degree. Time is the warping of space. Okay. Like, or I guess you could kind of think of it that way. Like people always, people think of time, like I said, people think of time as a separate thing, but it's really just what's happening to space and we identify it as time because like what like you said in the last podcast it goes back to change and that that impermanence yeah exactly always constant exactly and like so the and see like experiments like this are showing us that time might be somewhat irrelevant so like without going through a painful explanation what ended up happening is they used particles in this that were linked through like a quantum entanglement process and they sent them through different detectors and one of the uh <laughs> like basically what ended up happening with the detectors is that they figured out that like with how they were reading the information Technically speaking, you could influence the behavior of how an electron appears on this screen. So, like, think about this. Just pathways. Th or the photon goes through here. It's going to hit this screen first, right? The detector zero. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What they found is influencing everything on the... <laughs> Influence of the information at, like, the last detector, detector four, um, 
they were able to influence something that already happened. Like, so, so time was irrelevant as well. Like, that's, yeah, basically, like, think about it. So the photon hits here first, and then it goes off through this entire processes of splits. And you're functioning at the speed of light, which is a finite thing. So it's going to take time to cross these distances. And if these distances are greater than this distance, the photon will reach here first. When it goes through all these series of detectors, basically what they would do was strategically split the beams such that hopefully... Uh, basically, the universe wouldn't understand that we were trying to detect the information. And we found that all the way down the stream of particle splitting, if we measured a particle, after the first particle had hit the original detector, that the, what, the state of the particle observed later influenced the state of the particle detected earlier backwards wow. to like to a certain degree potentially backwards in time but how were they able to detect it if it was if it already happened well i mean so that's the thing is um photon hits here uh-huh there's a detector an observation is made data is produced on that photon okay Photons fly through this series of crap that they constructed as beam splitters and basically a maze of the light path to confuse the universe and is detected after that. That detection ends up influencing that read. Wow. I'm doing... Okay, I'm not fully doing this experiment justice, but basically they would observe, like... By splitting the beams, what they were trying to do was intentionally observe the effects of an entangled particle after its entangled partner had already been detected. And they found that the entangled particle, after they found that the entangled particles could influence each other seemingly backwards and forwards in time if you go by because time and space are both irrelevant. So it doesn't well, matter. Distance doesn't matter. So space between the two and time doesn't matter. Well, well, that's not to say... Well, like I said, science is a consensus, not an authoritative statement. What more so this implies is... In terms of information... Like, information may potentially be able to travel forwards and backwards in time. Like, people... In a... Like, we don't even know how, to a certain degree, but... What we do now may be influencing things that, probably not like centuries before, but like in this experiment, like it, it's a matter of like microseconds. But it's still okay. okay. I mean, like it's, but it's still it's still time. It's exactly. Still time. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That just, it just doesn't add up. And it, you said that's the same. That would pretty much be the same. Answer if you could explain that, then you win all the awards in physics. As well. If you can answer why they got this result, you will be famous. Right. Like okay. everyone will want to hire you. <laughs> yeah. Goals. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's the thing that, like, that's, I guess, what really informs my, like, my perspective on life is that, like, Everything we use to define our reality, literally everything we use to define our fucking reality, 
Well, the more we learn, the more we find it's fluid. Uh-huh. Like, so people want to live their lives according to these, like, binary constructions of I've got to believe this or that, do this or that. I've got to, like, it, so many ways. I could give so many examples. But, like, the nature of our reality is something that is so mind-bogglingly fucking crazy. Anything is possible. And that's the thing I, like, like, when people tell me they can't do something, like, I'm just like, no, you can't right now because you don't believe you can. Like, we live in a reality where, like I said, like, hypothetically, and like I said, the likeliness is not necessarily great, but hypothetically, I could between steps, like, just walking my dog, like, be transported to a whole nother galaxy come back and just no one would notice like it could happen so quickly like it, no one would even notice because it would be like almost the time it takes for my foot to move three inches right right like or even less and it, it, maybe whenever you're dreaming you know well because and like that's the that's the reason all this stuff pissed off einstein is like it, it just, it's it's so abstract it yes. is so abstract and just so mind-boggling that I, I could see that I could see that like you're trying to create like so like I said the concept like this stuff like this kind of breaks down the concept of locality because like it, <laughs> not just like like to a certain degree really like the butterfly effect the whole like a butterfly flapping its wings here can influence things there, like... I think about that all the time. Yeah, so take that to a universal scale. Right. Like, things that you do every day in your life may be influencing untold events in the universe. And you would never know. Because you're not fucking out there. Right. Because to us, like, we have locality to our perception of the world. We see everything as existing in a finite space... In order, like, that's the way our brains have evolved to be able to deal with the world into which we were born. Is, you know, like, it's beneficial to be like, that, there's something over there, okay? That thing has claws, it's moving this way, like, that's in that specific spot. Like, it's not like, like, it's not like these things are necessarily, like, wrong. It's just, it, it turns out, like, they're incomplete. They're incomplete pictures of reality. Okay, okay. Like, like our, our senses don't tell us the full nature of everything that's happening. Because, like, we can't see with our eyes individual electrons, like, all this crazy stuff. So do you think, do you think the way to figure this out is to look into nature, maybe within animals, or... Well, I, I think, like... Because answers to these kind of questions are like, it's hard because we have classical physics, which are like Newton's equations that are used to to describe the macroscopic world, what we see with our eyes. And the rules for those seem to work pretty well until we go down to the like quantum scale. At which point, every single one of those equations, except for a very select few under very specific equation or specific conditions, 
all break down and fail to describe the reality you see. Because in Newtonian physics, if I throw an object between here and here, I can describe the trajectory with a simple calculus equation. Right. Because it's going to occupy describable finite locations along that path. Quantum mechanics, you don't have that luxury. Because, like, at the fundamental nature of things, like, one of, the, one of the fundamental particles that makes up our existence is this thing called a gluon. And it exists in what's called the gluon field. Gluon. Yes. Like, like so... So a lot of people like to think about particles as, like, they're individual bundles of stuff in space... And they're all, like, not really fully connected. They're just separate entities that all happen to be of the same kind. Right. There's a reason that they're all of the same kind. They're not separate entities. What they are is, like... So, in space, like, there is what's called a photon field. There is an electron field, a proton field. Like, there's a field that pervades all of the universe for each of these types of fundamental particles. And what we observe as particles are excitations in those fundamental fields. So they're all actually part of one singular field. They're just excitations at different local points in that field. So, oh shit, I forgot where I was going. The gluons? Oh yeah, so gluons, like like all the other fundamental particles, there's a gluon field. Okay. And, like... Is, is this, like, kind of playing to, like, with uh, neutrinos? Well, nu- neutrino... Like, get again, neutrino field. There's a neutrino field, like... Uh, somewhat. Neutrinos... Neutrinos are their own mind fuck. Really? Yeah. Like, the neutrinos are on, in a category all their own, and they're kind of crazy. Extremely elusive, I know that. That's about all I know about them. It... The story of... Have you ever, like, looked into the story of how they figured out how to detect them? Uh, I, I don't think so. It took 60 years, I'm pretty sure. Or it might not have taken 60 years, but it took several decades. What they had to do, because uh, detecting neutrinos... Neutrinos are literally everywhere. Like, they are... Neutrinos are passing through our bodies right now having this conversation, as well as literally everything around us. Right. Our, we are bombarded by neutrinos. The thing don't they, don't they have to, to actually catch these? I don't I don't know if this is catching them or detecting them, but don't they have to fill up like almost like coal mines with uh, some kind of liquid? Well, so yeah, what they did is they built this. Uh, one of the biggest problems is neutrinos. Their signal for our instruments. Now, mind you, there may be sets of instruments we've just never even thought of or discovered that are great, and it's like, oh god, we get all these neutrinos with these. But for our methodologies that we've used so far, um, there's so much interference from other particles anytime we're like, say, at ground level, that we can't get a good read. Uh, so what they did is they built this, this basically like this vat full of, yeah, like you said, it's like a liquid that's specifically designed to have particular aspects to it that it can catch slash detect neutrinos that pass through it. And the only way that they could get it to where they had, like literally they had to bury this inside of a fucking mountain in Japan. Wow. And it took decades. It took decades. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Like, and, and the crazier part is like, millions of neutrinos pass through every square inch of us every second of every day, and they're that goddamn hard to detect. It's almost like God. So like neutrino, like God's working through neutrinos. I, I don't know. Well, no, but like for real, it's like the fuck. Well, it, it, it makes you think about like how many things are at play that we can't even like perceive. Well, it, our, our consciousness—it's not even entering our consciousness, but it's still affecting us. Like, what effect are these neutrinos playing on us? Well, and so like this—this this is kind of what I was getting into in the gluon field is like. So think about it. I'm a borrow again. I'm gonna use these napkins this time. <laughs> So Save the paper. Yeah. So think about, like, the gluon field is this weird, rough, like, piece of globs that kind of float nebulously here and there. Okay. Gluon, so think about the gluon field are little bundles of space on which gluons can exist. So, like, gluons will pop into existence and out of existence. I... I'm I'm surprised you just kind of accepted that one, but thank you. Well, no, if you if you would have told me that like at the beginning of this podcast, I would have been like I would have been like holy shit! But now I'm like anything's possible, man. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, like really, it is. So like, and to point or to that point, so like these things called gluons, they can only exist within the gluon field. But the thing about the gluon field is it's like all other fields, constantly in fluctuation. So what'll happen is, so this piece of the gluon field, like this gluon will be sitting here all happy, all nice, da-da-da-da, suddenly it just stops existing. Literally, I mean stops existing. Damn. Like, the, the energy, basically the flow of energy throughout all of the various atomic, subatomic, whatever fields fluctuates such that that piece of the gluon field, gone. So this gluon will just suddenly appear over here without having made any traceable path. Seemingly will just pop out of existence and pop into existence on another piece of the gluon field. Can you explain that one more time? Like, what? Like, you ever play hopscotch as a kid? Or what was, the, what was the game that was like, you know, the fucking, the spaces? You're right, where you, yeah, 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 yeah. So think about it like playing hopscotch, but the space underneath you is just disappearing, and you have to jump onto another space to keep existing. So they're they're pretty much are they essentially teleporting? There's no there's no traceable path that we can determine, and, and no patterns either. Not really, no. And, like like and they're pretty much they have to appear appear in these different spots so just to stay relevant, just to keep existing. Yeah, and like okay, we can predict to a certain degree fluctuations within the gluon field, like we can predict fluctuations within any field. But at the same time, we're talking about a world where anything can happen. So like 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 another example, like nature is full of this. Like, the the more we've come to look at it, nature is full of these things we call virtual particles. Okay. Like, space. Like, Lawrence Krauss, the famous physicist, has talked about the meaning of nothing. Because when people talk about empty space, they're like, oh, it's just nothing. But it turns out there's a lot that happens in the space that we call nothing. Okay. Little tiny particles are constantly popping in and out of existence. Like, they're... Like... Uh, it, it's it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane to think about. But like empty space is literally filled with 
little pieces of this and that just popping is in that, and out of reality. Is that dark matter or is that just gluons and uh, no, neutrinos? That, well, or? Not, that is everything. That is everything. Like, empty space is full of things, honestly, like, say, for the most part, things smaller than an electron, we'll say. But, like, um, say for, like, there's certain... Uh, there's this, like, like I said, these things called virtual particles, which are basically, if you want to think about it, like, overly, overly simplified, and any of your friends that end up watching this are, like, super science people may already have killed me by now for fucking up so much. <laughs> I hope I don't get stabbed in my sleep, but, <laughs> but, um, like, there are certain types of particles that, like I said, called virtu virtual particles... So, like, an electron has... Uh, two electrons have some sort of interaction. There are times where, like, a little particle, like, bundle of energy will exist literally just long enough to make that interaction possible. And then it'll just disappear into nothingness? Or, yes. Or disappear Dis to somewhere else that we are unsure of? Could be either. Like... Both are possible. Wow. Like, like, well, because that's the thing we, like... We always have to ask ourselves, because, like, it, there's the fundamental concept of our universe, like, matter is neither created nor destroyed, like, everything is in a constant state of inner conversion between itself, whatever. Um, that That's a really big question in physics, is these, like, these, like, theoretical particles that move so fast and are of such, like, such reactive energy or just for whatever reason aren't like they don't exist for very long like other they, their energy dissipates disperses whatever the question is is it that like say in the case of a gluon did that energy dissipate and then get redistributed over here or did that gluon just disappear and another one popped up? Like, it's is, it's kind of the same thing. Like we're talking about with teleportation. Is that the same? Is it is it really the same thing? Is it the same you, or just the clone of you? And it, how is how is that even detectable? There's no way to know if that that gluon. Like, there's no way we could like put a tracker on that gluon that's going to appear here and then reappear here. Well, well, and like that's kind of one of the big things about like all of this is that it's. Like I was saying, like, everything really, it, like, two electrons, what you see as two electrons is not necessarily two separate things, but two excitations of the same thing. Two different, two excitations of the same thing in a different spot. So think about this piece, this paper towel is the electron field. Uh -huh. What we would classically think of in, like, traditional physics as, like, two electrons being like two separate pieces as though you know this is one electron this is one electron no this is the electron field over here this elevated energy area here this is an electron and then this over here is an elevated energy area makes we perceive as another electron it's not two separate things necessarily as much as two different excitations of the same object Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll, I, I'm just at a loss for words. I don't even <laughs> just... Dude, welcome to physics, man. Like, the more you dig, the more you're just like, how do any people understand this? Like, because, like I said, dude, I've probably butchered so much by now. And, like, some of this stuff I was, like, literally just looking up two days ago. Right, right. Like, it's... And also, you never know how much you don't know. Exactly. So. Like, that's the that's another big thing. Like, holy shit, dude. Oh, you know what this is? This is really give, make, like, giving me an open mind and considering the possibility of time travel, but more than anything, teleportation. Like, I, I think it's extremely plausible, like, based on everything you've said. Oh, it's very plausible. It's very plausible, but, like, the ultimate question, it's with all of this technology, is is it going to work the way we envision it? Is it physically possible in our universe to work the way we envision it? Because, like, teleportation, for example, there may be certain fundamental aspects of our physiology and the laws of physics in our universe that make it impossible. Like, you're ultimately always just going to end up with a copy of the person and not the real person. Right. Because, like, one of the biggest things that they've tried to work on in getting teleportation to work is oftentimes in quantum, in the quantum world, like, when you read the information on a particle, you destroy it. Okay. Yeah, so, like, the the question is... So there's no way to tell if it's the same particle. If you're, if you're destroying it whenever you're reading it. Yeah, like, are you... Is that... Is that information off of the particle, is that the person? Or was that information connected to that particle, the person? Because the information, whatever you put it on, if you put it on a blank slate will produce the same thing. Like I said, you know, a lot of it, like you asked about memory, you know, like in terms of when we were talking about teleportation, like, could you test them by memory? And the thing is, like I said, to a certain degree, like all of that is the physical structure of your brain. So whether or not it's the same thing, if you reproduce that information, you'll get a carbon copy. But the question is, is the information what makes that person up? Is that information going to carry their consciousness between point A and point B? What determines? Or, or are they destroyed? Yeah, exactly. Like, who, and, then, and then recreated. Yeah. There's, you're right. There's no way to tell. No. Because if they have the same exact memories, then they're going to believe they're the same person. But even they won't know if they're the same person. Yeah. I guess if everything is exactly identical on an ethical and mor- moral like standpoint, are they is, are is humanity even gonna care? That's are, another question. Like is is the convenience of being able to and the luxury of being able to teleport worth the possibility of you not being you? Forever. Yeah. Like think about that. Like if if certain theories are right you get erased at the quantum level and recreated. I mean, like, at the most fundamental level, the information that makes you up when it's read is destroyed. At the most basic levels of your existence, you are literally ripped apart and taken taken away from reality. And then just... Pot- 
3D printed somewhere else. Yeah, and whether or not that's you is uh, basically one of the hot topics in science right now. And like in terms Holy of like shit. talking about like just kind of like fun science. So are they are they able to determine this final destination whenever they if they're going to follow through with like a teleportation device? Are they able to get you from point A to point B correctly? Over small distances right now, yes. Okay. So, obviously, we're just going to keep expanding upon that. Yeah. Upon that base. But they're actually able to get, to recreate or the same particle or whatever or recreate it from point A to point B over a short distance. Yes. So, the end goal is to where distance is irrelevant, to where space is irrelevant. Yes. Okay. Oh. Yeah. And then would, would, would building off that, then goal would also be for time and space, so time, space, to be irrelevant. Well, that's the other thing, like, people don't really comprehend about time and why I was, like, I made a big deal about saying, like, space and time are kind of really the same thing. Time, realistically, is just a measure of how quickly you're moving through space. Like... The clo basically, the closer you get to the speed of light, the faster you move in time. Right. So, like, like one way to put it is, it's a metaphor Stephen Hawking uses. If you ran a train, if you ran a train around the Earth near the speed of light, everyone on the train, and you did it for like two years, everyone on the train would have aged. Probably about two years, maybe. Everyone outside of that train, potentially hundreds of years may have gone by. Really? Yeah. The closer, the closer you get to the speed of light, the faster you move through time. And then there's the question in terms of traveling backwards in time, because some people think faster than light travel is impossible because it violates certain principles in physics, but at the same time, that... Like I said, science is a constant series of changes, so that could always, we could always end up being wrong. That could be disproved any time. Exactly, exactly. And on top of that, people have speculated, so if traveling super fast at the speed of light puts you forward in time, will traveling faster than the speed of light put you backwards in time? So you said moving faster than the speed of light put you backwards in time? Yeah. Okay. Like that's if if assuming moving faster than light is possible. Yes, and that's like a very big topic of debate among scientists. Okay. Because, like for example, like people say people say light is the fastest moving thing in the universe, and that is technically not true. Space itself is actually the fastest moving thing. Uh, gravity is a force that gravity is a force stronger than light and gravity is a function of density of matter so the power of gravity or the power of density of matter via gravity is actually a stronger and more rapid force than light which is why you'll like beams of light stars get sucked into black holes okay like like if you if you put a beam of light close enough to a black hole to where something would get sucked in 
even the beam of light would get sucked in. Right. Like it's thought to escape a black hole, you actually would have to travel faster than light to escape the gravitational pull because it's been shown. But how much faster than light? Well, that's a whole other question. Probably a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, like it's the thing is like a black hole. If a black hole can pull in light, that means that the space, like it, gravity, is a force uh. that acts on space. And it, essentially, like, space can actually move faster than light. Mm -hmm. Space itself can move faster than light. But nothing else in the universe, really. That gives us hope that we can move, that we can move a lot quicker. But how, how does space itself move quicker than light? How, do, how, does, how does space move? Does, well, it, does it move at like an infinite speed, like assuming like teleportation? Well, well, that's the whole concept of the Big Bang. Space is actually itself expanding. Like the idea of the Big Bang is like we're living in a blast zone. We live in. We basically, if the Big Bang is true, and there's a lot of evidence right now that either it's somewhat of an incomplete picture, or we may start moving towards different theories in the next decade or so. But for now, it's still widely accepted, or at least versions of it are widely accepted, especially ever since they discovered gravitational waves, like officially detected gravitational waves. Um, where was I going? Sorry. Uh, Big Bang, to see if it's so plausible. Well, okay, so like I said, if, it's, if that's true, we live in a fucking mushroom cloud. That is what we live in, is the explosion cloud of the Big Bang, and it's just expanding and expanding and expanding. So think at a of, constant rate. Yeah, exactly. So think about it. We are an object. If we're an object within the mushroom cloud, uh -huh. the mushroom cloud is growing around us. So the actual space we have to occupy is growing around us, and the universe is accelerating faster and faster. Like its expansion is. That was one of the freaky things we observed when we started really noticing the rate at which objects in the universe were moving away from us. It's called like the universal redshift. It's like based on the Doppler effect. The Doppler effect is like, you ever hear of weather like the Doppler radar? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the dot like the Doppler effect is just basically a simple concept. Things that are moving towards you the light is going to be more blue because as it's getting close to you, the wave is getting bunched up. Da 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 da. Or I probably fucked that up. The point is, due to the due to the way the the wave the wave, like the sound wave or whatever wave you're observing, light wave, whatever, moves towards and away from you, when it's getting closer, you're gonna observe what's called a blue shift because the way because the way the wave frequency move like expands or contracts throughout space as it gets close to an object when it's moving away from an object you get what's called a redshift and we noticed when we looked up in the sky for the first time with really advanced telescopes well not even really but like starting to get advanced telescopes we noticed everything we saw in the sky for the most part was redshifted as though it was moving away from us, as though it was expanding. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's actually like it, it, this isn't in correlation to the Roy G. Biv, is it? Like like the, the I, I think that's a temperature thing, like dependent on colors. 
I, I do not remember what Roy G. Like, Biff stands uh, for. It's, it's like red, orange, yellow, and then on the other side of the spectrum, uh, like Biv is uh, blue. Uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet? That, that's probably right. Uh, I'm not sure about the indigo, but it, that, that's probably right. Well, well, yeah. I don't like, know what else I would be. <laughs> all, all color really is is our brain's way of interpreting like what we see as color is just our brain's way of interpreting different light frequencies right. and what a different frequency is is basically it's really simple is the wave bunched up like is it like this you know is there space between the wave is it really close like is it really far like that's that's what we see as color basically and we use like we use um, that knowledge of frequencies and how they behave in relation to an object to extrapolate that data, like the idea that the universe is moving away from us. And they've actually speculated, like some scientists say, like we really need to start m trying to move out towards the stars as soon as possible because they're literally growing away from us. And there's speculated that there's going to be a certain point at which the acceleration of the universe becomes so great that we'll never be able to reach certain objects because they're expanding away from us so much faster than we could ever. I assume hope that's to already reach. happened. Probably, at least for some, for some stars, not, not, not necessarily everything. But wow, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, another way to think about it, like. To give you an example of like how our universe, how space moves faster than light. Uh -huh. Our universe is, I think, like 13.8, 14 billion years old, we estimate. Mm -hmm. Our universe is like 98.6 billion or something light years across. If our universe were strictly expanding at the speed of light, it would only have probably a diameter of either 13.8... Or like, well, no, since since it's expanding out in all directions, it would probably have a diameter of about 27.6 billion okay. or 27.6 billion light years across. Because, OK, light years, just to be clear, that's a measurement of distance. Yeah. Like that's, that's not time. Like when scientists talk about light year, that is the amount of distance light travels in a year. And the main reason we use it is it's good for describing really big distances. Right, right. So It is deceiving, though, the name. Yeah, yeah. It has, it has time in the name. So. Yeah. But like I said, so, you know, if the universe were just moving at the speed of light, our universe would be about a third the size that it is right now. Or actually, let's see, so about a fourth the size it is right now. Right. Like a little less than a fourth. But, yeah, I mean, so... It, <laughs> Nothing in nothing about our experience of the world basically is true to the nature of our reality. Dude, that's so crazy too. Because I think I think society has kind of taken on a paradigm, especially in recent years with like with the internet and everything. Like, I, I think in, in like artificial intelligence on the way and all, all this all this incredible exponential growth in uh, in technology. I think we've kind of taken on a paradigm that we know everything and that could not be further from the truth. Especially, especially when you're talking about physics, this is insane. So, and let me bring it 
like, let me bring this into our own anatomy. Uh-huh. So... Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pull this one up on the computer, if we don't mind, so I don't make a fool of myself. But, uh... Small nucleolar RNA and small nucleolar protein. Oh, is it okay if I'm in the bathroom? Yeah, totally. Okay, I'll be right back. Oh, those were some good body cranks. <laughs> this water is going straight through us. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> I don't know about anybody listening, but my mind is absolutely blown. Like, episode number 45, my M44, Joel was on the other one as well, right before this. And I can honestly say I don't think he's blown my mind as much as any guest yet. This is insane. It, make, it makes you, uh, it's, it's good to have people around you like this to make you question your beliefs in life. Because... Wow, it's just, you see, I don't know, I guess uh, you can kind of live with the ideology that you know everything, that you have it all figured out, but in reality, when you hear something like this, it's just so mind-boggling that, yeah, yeah, I don't even, I am so lost for words right now, it's ridiculous. Wow, yeah. Good guy, though. Yeah, you, you may not have uh, guessed this at all, but the way I met him was through jiu-jitsu practice, and he's actually training to be an MMA fighter. That's uh, that's his goal right now, and I believe he could do it. He's great. He's great. He'd put me on my ass whenever we would roll. Yeah, if you guys are interested in any of this, any of this at all, some some things uh, I've written down just for my own personal uh, research. Quantum entanglement, which he said uh, Einstein was very just annoyed by this theory because of how, not irrational, but how difficult it is and just to explain and how, how little sense it makes. And then... Uh, the quantum eraser and the double slit experiment. These are these are all things we can look into. I know I'm, I'm definitely going to do some research. I would like to have him on again. And uh, I have three hamburgers back if you guys want any. You said three hamburgers? Yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to eat because uh, I'm fasting right now. And I, I fasted last night. And I, I don't think I took in my full calorie intake. And I can kind of feel a lack of... Um, Focus. But yeah, we'll be up in a little bit. He's he's down uh he's in the bathroom right now. Yeah, this is uh I feel like this is something you definitely need to look into yourself before before talking about it. I'm gonna snag some of these grapes as well. Mmm. You know when you haven't eaten anything for like 
fair amount of time. I mean, I haven't eaten like a few hours, but and then that first thing that touches your mouth, like your your taste buds are just hypersensitive to. It's like a really good feeling. I love it. These grapes taste like extra sweet. Joel, I decided I'm breaking the fast tonight. Because especially, I don't know if you can tell in the beginning of the podcast, but like my, because uh, I've been going like fasting on, fasting off kind of. Yeah. Thing. Uh, fast on, fast off. <laughs> but uh, especially because I, 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 the way I've always eaten is that I eat like literally all day long, like most Americans. And honestly, I'm very guilt, guilty of gluttony, <laughs> and is what it is. But um, yeah, I think it, I, I, I can feel a lack of focus, especially in the beginning of this podcast. And then I, it, part of it was probably just like how like intangible and how hard this is to like wrap my brain around. <laughs> Oh, yeah. dude, I still have no fucking clue about most of this shit. I don't know what you mean, no. How could you? How could you? Like, I mean, like, I, I know a guy who got a degree from Rala at, in, like, nuclear physics. And he's like, yeah, half the days I'd go to class, my teachers are like, so here's this thing that happens. We have no idea why. Uh, if you can figure out why, you're probably going to get a Nobel Prize. <laughs> so here you go. And people be like, is there a chance that this is wrong? Absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> so open to interpretation. That's insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, and that's the thing is, like, if you want to be a good scientist or if you want to, in my opinion, be good at analyzing anything, you have to be open to the concept that your frame of analysis can always be wrong. That's, that's an effective scientist. I agree. Like, yeah. And you're, you, there are no ties with your own personality within there because that's just... That's that's misleading. Yeah. Actually, dude, you would appreciate it on this. This is this is absolutely insane, and I didn't realize this until like somewhat recent years. But so so I went to I went to a uh, it was a Lutheran school. It's called Emmanuel Lutheran. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's in St. Charles, Missouri. Um, first of all, fuck that place. <laughs> fuck that place for a multiple. One, it was really strict, and I could I get into all that. But dude, no joke. This school, like, because they, since they're a private school, they can teach whatever they decide to teach. Mm -hmm. No joke. They did not teach us science. First to sixth grade, man, I did not learn science. What? I swear to God. What? I was never taught science. And I, I switched to a public school in seventh grade. I started learning science from then on. And, like, I struggled in science at first. Like, that was my, now it's probably my favorite subject, honestly. That, that and history are probably the most, uh, two most interesting. But, yeah, I was never <laughs> taught science. See, like, we would have science classes, but we'd have textbooks from, like, the 1980s that would talk about how by the 1990s, and I shit you not, I had textbooks in, like, fifth grade science that would talk about how, like, by the 90s we were gonna, in, like, the 2000s we were gonna, like, have moon colonies. Like, I mean, like, full-on, no like, way. cities on the moon and shit, and I'm just like... Yeah, we totally, like, I was fucking, like, 11 or whatever. I'm like, yeah, we totally don't have that shit right now. <laughs> like, this, this, I'm teacher, I think they're wrong here. Yeah, really? Like. That's good. Yeah. Really, really, that's insane. Like, yeah. I, I think that's so funny with moon travel. Like, we haven't even been back to the moon since, like, what? I don't even know the last time. Well, yeah, because, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson explained it really well. Like, going to the moon, like, moon missions are expensive as shit 
and we didn't really ultimately go there for like all oh, the ideology sciences da, 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 da. it was the fucking cold war we wanted to get to the we wanted to get to the moon before russia right we wanted to do everything before russia because any time we lost was a potential strategic advantage we gave up which is which is another reason for why artificial intelligence not to get off topic too much but that's it, it, that is why artificial intelligence is going to be inevitable because it's an arm race. it's an arms race because we're competing with all these different countries. Yeah. And that's the scariest fucking part about <laughs> it. But, yeah, anyway, continue. Well, oh, fuck, what was I saying? Now, you said that we originally went because of the Cold War to well, well, the moon. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, our moon mission stopped once the Russians stopped giving a shit about going to the moon. And it's a really funny coincidence. <laughs> so now, yeah, sorry. What a weird motive. Politics. Yeah, yeah. Well, but like nowadays, like, what's the drive to go to the moon? Like, we're, we're more focused on other things. We want to go to Mars. We want to explore, uh, hopefully, outside of our solar system. We want to do all these other things, which is why, like, nowadays, when people are like, we're going, like, some politicians will be like, why haven't we gone to the moon? I'm like, because there's not that much to be accomplished right now from going to the moon. Otherwise, they would have fucking plans for it. Exactly. exactly. Like, like, all this shit is astronomically expensive. So NASA can't just be like, all right, we're going to work on Mars colonization and go to the moon and have the International Space Station and do X, Y, and Z things. Because, like, one of their satellites costs a couple million to a couple hundred million to a couple billion dollars to do. And, like, the cost of keeping people alive in space, the cost of having all the infrastructure to make that even fucking possible, is astronomically expensive. Astronomically expensive. So, so how do we begin to fund that? How would you... I, I think... It, I'm convinced if we could get enough people curious, we could almost work in, like, an interdependent way. And I, I know this kind of sounds like like we were talking about earlier, like, a form of, like, fascism or something. But, I don't know. I, I think... Right now, it might not be, like, a culturally accepted norm, but if, if we could get, like, a majority of society behind, like, overall end goal of getting us to be a multi-planet species, then maybe we could, like, make, like, a space tax or something like that, like, to where we're, we're actually funding this stuff for NASA. Well, so, like, there's this one guy who... Have you ever heard of the app Duolingo? No. It's the... You ever done, like, a CAPTCHA, like, a thing where you're on a website and it's like, do this thing, like, type, retype this thing in this box here to prove you're not a robot, basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what's called a CAPTCHA. And the guy who invented that, or there's, a, there's one guy who invented that specifically. And at first, one, di one day he realized after he'd invented it, he's like, I'm making people waste, like... Depending on how much they use the internet, potentially hours of their lives. Like collectively? Collectively, just like typing random bullshit. Like, you know, because it's like every individual time you do it, it's like a couple seconds to a minute. And it's annoying, man. But, oh, like, compound that over your entire life, especially in the modern age where it's not looking like you're just going to use the internet less. Like, you are actually taking up a decent amount of time in someone's life just to type in bullshit to prove they're not a fucking robot. Yeah, and it yeah. serves no purpose. So this, what he started doing is like... Nowadays, if you'll notice, like, the way they do captures, it's like image recognition or like... 
have you had it where it'll be like pick which of pick like the panel in this photo that has a sign in it or like shit like that mm-hmm. that was actually intentional and yes it's a more advanced way of filtering out robots but also that actually helps to serve as data for image recognition, like that informs image recognition software, all sorts of all of this. Like he, so bit- he created something that led to something else? Well, he created something, realized that it was useful, but didn't ultimately serve everyone who used it. Like it served the websites that used it, not the users of the website, because to them, it's just a fucking waste of time. Right. Like, so now they're actually at least saying like, well, those 10 seconds went to, like, something, you know? It, like, it's not completely wasted time. Off of this, he came up with this idea for this app called Duolingo, which is basically, like, it's a free tool to learn to learn languages. There are programs for several languages in it, and it's been proven to be about as effective as Rosetta Stone. And what it is is, so, it teaches you language, it uses your input to help translate phrases of books. So you're learning a language while simultaneously you're also, it's not just like arbitrarily like translating sentences. The sentences you translate in Duolingo are actually used to help create construction, or like basically they're helped to use to translate and digitize books. Yeah, wow. And so his con and like where he kind of went with this, why I mentioned why you'd heard of him and like, you know, getting people cohesive. He actually like he kind of studied big projects in history, the Manhattan Project, uh, the project to get to the moon, other large undertakings, about 100,000 people working on one goal is what's made this stuff happen. So his concept, his vision was, what if I can create this app that is able to be dispersed among millions of people, all working towards this goal of digitizing human knowledge, translating and digitizing human knowledge. So it's completely shared and it's just in the ether accessible to anybody. Yeah. And like the the crazy... I love that. Like, so his... Basically, he is pushing... Unbeknownst, because a lot of people who download Duolingo don't fully know the backstory. They just know it's a free language app. Right. Like, they're unknowingly helping to do all this shit to digitize all these books and help to translate and better communicate all human knowledge. Like, he has... Wow. Like, basically, he is... through By creating an app that teaches you how to write or how to understand, read, and write new languages for free... He has gotten millions of people to sign on to help him digitize all of these books and all of these different languages from fucking Spanish, Italian, French, German, Portuguese, Korean, uh, they're, I think, Chinese. They're always adding new languages. Like, and it's not just, like, English. There are versions of it for, like, Polish people trying to learn things. The longer it's existed, the more it's expanded. Right, right. It's only improving. It can only get better. Yeah, exactly. It's like a YouTube video. It can only get more views. It can't go down. Yeah. And like... So that's kind of the thing is... I think in terms of getting some of the bigger projects of humanity done... Is going to come through technologies like that where people don't even realize they're fully doing it. Yes, yes. It's virtually creating a mastermind amongst most humans. 
Yeah. Got, there are tissues in here. Oh, wonderful. Delightful. Oh, they have the lotion too. <laughs> Dude, that's actually pretty handy. I didn't even think about it. I just put it on here because uh, everybody was tapping this desk and like you could like hear the vibrations in there. <laughs> actually, on on, uh, on that same topic, my, my buddy came on the other day and he said, he said there's a Nikola Tesla quote that if you want to understand the universe, think of it in, I think it's energy, frequency, and vibration. And I, I just found that quote extremely fascinating. Well, so, like I said, um, you know, like, so the electron field, for example, uh -huh. it's, it's there everywhere constantly. What's happening in it and therefore how it's behaving and how it's acting on the environment around it is determined by those three things you just described. Energy, frequency, vibration. So those are the forces acting upon it? Not the forces necessarily, just some of its most important properties. How much energy is put in that specific spot? Uh -huh. At what frequency is that energy vibrating? And that will tell you a lot of what you need to know. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Oh yeah, I forgot. I was gonna tell you about. I was gonna make the whole mind fucky thing come full circle and bring it into human anatomy. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I just remembered that. Ooh, no internet connection. You're you're not cool enough for the internet apparently. <laughs> so. No love. There we go. Cool. All right. So, you know, okay, nuclear, so there's this thing in our DNA, so I was kind of talking about earlier how like, you know, at the fundamental levels our universe defies like all of our descriptions. So, small nuclear RNAs are like, okay, we can just read the Wikipedia page here. Uh, they, they guide chemical modifications of other RNAs, mainly ribosomal RNAs transfer. Basically, like, what you need to understand is they're very important in the regulation of, through modifying, uh, of basically the way your genes are read. Like... Small nucleolar RNAs, they're, so you have DNA. Right. DNA is like the raw code. So think about it, DNA is the library. RNA is the librarian. RNA is the person that is able to access and read all of that information and relay it to, and relay it in a way that is intelligible. That's, okay. what, that's what RNA does. Protein is like the active compound that you get from synthesizing from synthesizing information in the DNA. Like the, the way it traditionally goes is DNA is read by RNA to create protein. Okay. Or sometimes DNA is read and sometimes DNA is read produces RNA and the RNA just acts on its own. Okay. And in this case, this is an RNA like 
that helps to modify other RNAs. Like basically, it regulates how it regulates what kind of protein is going to get produced to a certain degree. Like the the biggest thing about though why this is. Uh, let's see where is the. There's a nifty chart. I'm gonna borrow this for a second. But the thing is, so it has a protein counterpart called small nucleolar protein. The the small nucleolar The small RNA. nucleolar RNA has a protein counterpart that is small nucleolar protein. And basically the two function in this modification role of altering genes or of altering RNA once it's read the DNA. Like the the thing the most important thing about it like i could tell you you could have a whole fucking class on just like one type of rna that's a lot of oftentimes how genetic classes go is so like you can spend one whole class or multiple days of classes on one single thing because uh. it's just so goddamn complex and interrelated but uh Like I said, it has a protein counterpart, small nucleolar RNA. It is like so. The small nucleolar RNA associates with these proteins to help carry out those modifications I talked about. To produce small nucleolar proteins, you need small nucleolar RNA. Okay. To produce small nucleolar on that. To produce small nucleolar RNA, you need small nucleolar protein. Wait, wait, say, say it all again, really. To create small nucleolar protein, you need oh. small nucleolar RNA. And, and vice versa? Yes. So where the fuck does any of it come from? I, uh, it, it, does it... No, that's, well, that's my whole point. That's my whole point is like, it literally, because this is a fundamental mechanism to how our genetic code gets read and modified. Okay. This is like, you learn this stuff in genetics 101. Okay. It is, like I said, fundamental to our existence, basically. We don't know how the fuck it happened, because to your point, if you need one to make the other, and you need the other to make that one, where the fuck does it start? Like, where? Yeah, yeah. Like, is there, is there, do you think there's a possible, like, third party that is dependent upon the two or like like that uh, you are dependent on that third variable or well like this is another one of those things if you could answer this Nobel Prize oh my like goodness. instantly like you answer this question or I, uh, genetics moves at a really high pace so maybe this like you know because I learned about this a couple of years ago in school so it may have an answer now but like the thing is when I was in school, there was no answer, and anyone who proposed a viable answer that actually seemed to hold experimentally true uh-huh. is probably very fam- very famous right now if they exist. Because, like, the possibilities are endless. Is it, like, some kind of protein worked its way into our DNA? It, that such, like, you know, it was introduced foreignly? Did we capture some foreign genetic... Like, what the the possibilities for how we came to each genetic modif the possibilities for how we came to everything in our genetic system 
are endless. That's why genetics is such like genetics is the particle physics of biology. Like, cause particle, cause there are certain types of physics. Like, and what I, what I mean when I say that there are certain types of physics where it's like, you know, basic laws of motion, like Newtonian motion. Like if I throw, like I said earlier, if I throw a ball, I can describe it. I can describe its trajectory, its motion very cleanly using well-tested equations. Right. But when you get down to particle physics, it's a lot harder to do all it of seems, it. It just seems so random and spontaneous and unpredictable. And that's exactly what genetics is to the rest of biology. Because it all ultimately works out into these systems we see that, you know, have obviously form coherent structures that are viable and function fine. But, but... When you look at the reality that makes that all happen, it's such a goddamn confusing mind fuck that you're just like, where do I start? Like, it, it just even the theories of how our, our genetic material came to be are endless. Like, there, have you like have you ever heard of this thing called the tardigrade? A tardigrade? Yeah. No. Do you watch? Did you watch the most recent season of South Park? No. Okay, I actually love it because so there have been a lot of papers recently about uh, this animal called the tardigrade. It's like a tiny, tiny, microscopic little thing, and okay. it's also called like a water bear. I mentioned South. I mentioned like South Park doing a thing, or I mentioned South Park because they had an episode that actually featured them, and in a hilarious way, kind of pointed out like some of the aspects of their biology. Now, mind you, it's South Park, so they took it a little crazy, and the things formed, like, little societies and civilizations and crazy shit like that happened, <laughs> which we don't think is possible, but who fucking knows? But, like, sure. these organisms can survive. Electric shock, flames, the vacuum of space, nuclear explosions, nuclear radiation, uh, literally, like, Anything that would kill anything. You can, like, like, you can throw them out into space. You can dry them out completely for m millions of years, potentially. Uh-huh. And the second they get close to water again, or, like, con favorable conditions... They're done. No, alive again. Wait, what? what? They go from dead to alive to the, uh, they can go in. They can go into a very deep stasis state. I, th I thought you were trying to say that water was the one thing that kills them off. No, well, they're called water bears because they're found often in water. Okay, and like also, the, the, if you look at little pictures of them, kind of look like little tiny bears. Wait, just just water bears? Water bears, tardigrades. You can yeah, you can find. I'm gonna say water bears just because they're. And that's the tardigrade. Cute little guys. They kind of look like in a like an amoeba. Yeah. And they're really simple animals. But and like I said, they can survive just about everything that we have been able to figure out. Uh, like, like I, I cannot like to to put this. Think about this in terms of like, because there's right now a big debate in science. Uh, it's actually considered a valid, like, 
legitimately debated topic, whether or not life originated on Earth, or at least the chemistry behind our life originated on Earth. Because life, or at least the chemicals associated with life, appeared started appearing in really high abundance that we can detect in sediment layers right after there was a huge bombardment of comets. Okay. Like, you know, a bunch of asteroids and comets hit the Earth. It's this giant volcanic... Like, hellstorm of lightning and fire were literally chunks of, like, you know, there are literally ball, flaming balls of rock falling from the sky. Uh-huh. And right after that... So basically, this biological genetic makeup hits the Earth and happens to fall into favorable conditions. That's, that's kind of the thought. And that, that hypothesis, that's, like, the idea behind it. Because they've found, like... Basic amino acids, which are what are some of the basic building blocks of life, like the chemical building blocks of life, uh-huh. they found on comets and asteroids out in space, like just out floating out in space. Really? Like these molecules can exist in the vacuum of space because like all of our previous logic would have dictated that the conditions in space are such that it would have forced the molecules to break apart into less complex pieces. But lo and behold, they're there. <laughs> Like, I don't know, like, there was this, the big experiment, like, a couple of years ago where they, like, had a probe that, like, they basically fired into a comet. Like, it was kind of a big media deal, but, like, one of the big things they learned about that, they've learned from that and experiments like it, is they found in the, like, in the rocks of these comets and asteroids. Uh-huh. Pieces of amino acids. That doesn't add up at all, yeah. Yeah, and well, and then on top of that, like, tardigrades can survive in space. Like, I don't mean, like, we take them on a spaceship. I mean, like, you put them out in the vacuum of space. And they're, they're still living out there. Well, what they do is they go into deep stasis. Okay. But, like, that's the thing is... It seems that life and the chemistry of life is a lot more resilient and also, to a certain degree, literally universal than we thought. Like, because before we studied this, we're like, can amino acids even exist off Earth? Like, is the is the chemical makeup of anything else in the universe possible to lead to this? I mean, it's it's not like kind of a sense of arrogance, like, oh, this is the only place it could happen. But I mean, just genuinely, like, you want to think that... The universe is a big place, so yeah, it's possible, but science is such that it goes by evidence. So until there's evidence, you can't say whether or not it's true. But right. we've found evidence, like, now that... Or the, that they're exclusively happening just on Earth. Yeah, exactly. And now we've started to find evidence that it's not exclusive to Earth. That's what that's what blows my mind, too, is, like, water is found everywhere, and oxygen, all these... All these uh, Things that I, I thought were only exclusive to Earth are everywhere. They're found everywhere in the solar system. Well, and like, th- that's like one thing a lot of scientists have talked about. Because there's this thing called the Fermi Paradox. It's, simply put, it's the concept that if there are aliens in the universe, like if there's life other than us, where the fuck is it? Right. Like with how many planets there are, if there's other life, why don't we see it? And there are many different... Answers everything ranging from like we can't detect it to everything like basically civilizations reach basically civilizations destroy themselves before they reach the stage where they can travel throughout the stars. 
Um, but there's the one that I am most fond of personally, and this is a personal opinion because uh -huh. you can make an argument for any of these things. Um, I like to believe, and like I, like I want to clarify, like this is more of a personal belief than like a fact of science. I don't want like people to think that, but Oh God, I was going to say something cool, then I lost it. <laughs> uh, was it more of a personal belief instead of a fact of science? Oh yeah. Um, to a certain degree, yeah, there might be life out there that's more intelligent than us and just like hiding from us, basically, or like so advanced that we can't perceive it. That's, that's plausible, well, that's possible. Well, like Michio Kaku, he's like a world-renowned physicist. If you've ever seen like a Japanese guy with white hair on TV talking about he physics... Actually, he came to one of my colleges whenever he, he visited, but I didn't know his significance until... I'm pretty sure. It's, it was a very famous physicist that came to visit my school, and he was Asian. That's all I know. That would probably be Michio Kaku. That's crazy. But like, he's, like he talked about it, and I mean, this was years ago... Um, you know, like, he's just like, when we build an eight-lane superhighway next to an ant colony, do we take time to explain anything to the ants? Do the, do the oh, ants... Oh, wow. Do, do you think the ants even have a clue what the fuck is happening next to them? No. Oh my, wow, what a great just metaphor that's uh, just an explanation. Yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, and it could be happening right next to us. Yeah. So is he, are you familiar with like Alex Jones at all? Oh god. <laughs> well, he, he, he always talks about like interdimensional beings. Oh yeah. Actually kind of sounded like him there first. <laughs> interdimensional beings. <laughs> it's, it, it's the goddamn energy vampires. It's the goddamn energy vampires. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is running a child, uh, what is it, just child sex slave out of a pizza company. Run on children's blood and vampiric blood orgies. <laughs> but, like, I mean, uh, kind of like the whole, like, oh, he's fucking ridiculous, don't get me wrong. Uh -huh. But, like, I, I don't even know. Just, <laughs> it, it. That's my thing about, like, alien cultures, though, is, like, ones that are more advanced than us, can we even comprehend them? And the other thing that a lot of physicists point out is, like, our perspective on what life is is very limited. Right. Very limited, because we've lived in a world where there's one type of life, life based on carbon in the presence of a lot of water. So when we look for life on other planets... We look for a lot of car we look for carbon and water. Uh-huh. And it's actually been shown to be chemically possible because of the similarity of chemical structures. Like why a lot of life is carbon based is because carbon is a very special atom because it only has four electrons in its outer electron shell, which can hold eight. So it can form four chemical bonds with things, which makes it very versatile in how it can create very complicated chain structures some of which loop in on themselves and have all of these crazy consequences. Uh -huh. Silicon can do the same things. So silicon-based life, chemically speaking, is entirely possible. But the thing is, 
we don't even understand how that would work because all of our chemical systems are based around carbon. So we understand life chemistry in the context of carbon chemistry. We don't understand life chemistry in the context of silicon chemistry. We don't even know what that would look like. We don't know how to detect for that because like... And that's just one other branch of it. Yeah, exactly. Holy shit. Like, and in, in, in theory, they could be infinite branches. Yeah. So indescribable and unimaginable. Yeah. There could be beings, for all we fucking know, like the planets that were like, oh, they're just gassy rocks. There might be organisms made, like that basically are just balls of gas. And we don't even like... They're an organism, but just not in a way that we could ever fucking comprehend right now. Right. Because we're so limp, like, the way I like to view humanity and, like, definitely myself is I am a very limited being. We are very limited beings, which is why we should have our eyes wide open to this crazy fucking cosmos around us that's just, like, like, someone recently asked me, because, like, I, to a certain degree, like, like, I use the word magic. And uh -huh. people are like, oh, you're a man of science. Like, you know, you're, you're like a, kind of a science guy. Like, how do you believe in magic? And I'm like, because magic never went away. We just changed its name. Like, the fact that I can tell you that, like, anything we're not looking at in our universe might literally be everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Is that not sound like fucking, fucking magic? magic. <laughs> magical. Like, magic is the feeling I get when I look up at the sky and I realize that, like, the atoms that are in those stars, everything that I ever was, am, or will be, everything that has come before me or will come after me is made of this, literally the same atoms that make up those stars. <laughs> and I am a piece of them and they are a piece of me. I am literally but a fraction of the universe I inhabit. I am only a piece of it. And I'm a part of it. And that's fucking magic to me. That is magic. <laughs> like, that is magic. Well, you, you want to end it on that? Sure. Dude, I, honestly, you, you have blown my mind more than like any of these podcasts. Where because, like, I, I, I've, I've just been at a loss for words on, like more than anything on this. Well, and I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, and, like, that's the thing. That's why I, like, I wish people were more into, like... Because when people think of science, they think of the boring shit, like... And, honestly, you have to learn the boring shit to even come... To start understanding some of this stuff. But once you can get past that, like, you go from, like... Oh, God, I'm gonna have to describe... I have to, like, give the math for how this ball rolls down this slant... And you, but you go from that to like, this is how our entire universe might be one goddamn tiny particle that no one's looking at. How? <laughs> some interconnected particle, too. Yeah. That is some inter interconnected particle that it, I, I don't even know if we'll ever fully understand it. I don't think, maybe that's just not the point. Maybe humanity, like, we're, we're always trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, but maybe we're just not meant to fully understand it. The, there's this one story, and I think it's Isaac Asimov who wrote it. It's called The Last Question. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. So, the story is, 
starts off talking about basically how humanity's made this computer that can answer literally any question. It's a learning machine. Like, it's what we comprehend to be what AI will become. Like, okay. you know, it's something that has learned, like, it's a machine that can learn, extrapolate, like, draw on information from everywhere and is able to perform computations at freakishly high rates and, like I said, can pretty much answer any question. Like, there's this big breakthrough with the machine that they have. This is and only one machine? It's one machine. It's one machine. And they feed it this one question, and it's, how do I reverse entropy in the universe? Entropy is the natural state we observe in the universe such that things go to a state of order to disorder. Anything in our universe that is ordered will go towards disorder, just not just because of the way that energy flows in our universe from places of a lot of energy to places to less energy. Okay. That's entropy, is the law that... So it's kind of the same idea with, like, uh, like the climate always trying to find an equilibrium, every, it, even though it never will. That's exactly why that happens. Entropy is the reason that happens. Okay, okay. Because energy is... Yeah, energy is constantly flowing from states, from localities of high energy to low energy. And that's why, basically, that's why things in our universe don't last forever. So, in the story, the last question, they ask it, how do you, like, how do you reverse entropy in the universe? And it's, uh, it gives, like, it takes a while, and then, like, this is a machine that can answer anything, and it comes back, need to collect more data to answer this question. And the story keeps going through the story of humanity to the point where we become an interplanetary, intergalactic, universal species. To the point where we've become almost so godlike we're just floating consciousnesses existing in the universe. And the question persists and the answer is always, and basically, more data needs to be gathered to answer this question. And the story ends basically with the last human dying. And then the machine finally, like, the universe ending. Uh-huh. And this machine finally comes up with its answer. And the universe is reborn from, start, from the start. Holy shit, yeah. Need to collect more data, need to collect more data. Until literally the end of time. Until and then it literally starts it all over again. Do you think maybe this is just the 659th time that we've restarted? Well, I mean, like that's actually a big thing of like Buddhist, like religious belief and philosophy, and like Hindu philosophy is that the world has been born and died t multiple times over. Like I think, really? I think I'm pretty sure in the Hindu cycle of things, like. We're in the sixth iteration of our planet. Of well, not of our planet, but of our universe. How did they come up with that explanation? Um, it, I'm not sure quite historically, but I know basically the way that it works out is there's this one god, and whether his eye, like when he opens and closes his eyes, universes are create, like the universe is either created or destroyed. Okay. Like basically, I, I can't remember if it's. The god falls asleep, and our universe exists, and when he wakes up, it's destroyed and falls back. But some variation of that kind of cycle. 
because it, I think it's like the Brahman or whatever. Like Hinduism is this interesting religion because it's not. It has many gods, but they're all ultimately iterations of one deity. Okay, maybe multiple roles in that aspect, or to a certain degree, yes. Okay, like. Think about it, their god structure is kind of like how I view the universe. Like, their gods are all pieces of one single entity that cre- that makes up their, like, ultimate unifying god force, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. And that is what kind of determines the whole... Like, basically... The life of that god is what determines the direction of our reality whether whether our universe is created or destroyed whether anything happens okay yeah wow <laughs> dude wow yeah I would, I would like to uh, maybe at like a different time but I would love to hear like, like talk like Buddhist philosophy as well sure yeah because that's something I've been a lot more, uh, I guess, straying towards as of lately. Like, it, I just find that, I don't know, I, I, I guess less wrong, like we were saying earlier. Just, I don't, I don't know, I, uh, less wrong than Christianity, in my personal opinion. Well, like, the big thing about, the big thing about Buddhism, when you, like, when you read the books of Buddhism, that's the difference for me, is, like, there's no, there are books in the Bible where it's literally some person telling you this is how you're supposed to live and this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like Buddhism and also Taoism are very much like open to interpretation. Yeah, like well, the, their kind of point is your interpretation of the world is what creates everything in your world. Kind of like the, the ideology, like you, what like everything you see inside yourself is a reflection of the external. World. Yeah. Okay. Well, and like the the one of, kind of I touched on this earlier, like so, you know, Islam, Christianity, and some of the other uh, major world religions have a very clear cut and well defined sense of right versus wrong. Buddhism and Taoism, wrong, right and wrong, are not necessarily as clearly defined. Because it's it's not as much about defining things as this or that. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Like, the... the there's this one... One of the... The Tao Te Ching is basically like the Bible of Taoism. It's like the foundational text. And it's just a series of, I think, 80-something poems. Okay. But... The, one of the great... Like, it describes a series of things, but it's basically like... The only reason there's dark is because we say there is light. Mm-hmm. Like, but ultimately, light and dark aren't really things. Like, would, would, like, right, okay, or I should say, like, you know, right exists because we think things are wrong. Like, In like, reality, neither one is even real. Exactly. It's, it's just, just our own judgment. Right. And like, right. <laughs> like no, really, no. I mean, like, really though, that's that's the thing is like, whether something is right or wrong is not inherent to the universe. It's whether or not you decide that. 
and you can decide that not, things are neither right nor wrong, but that they just happen. And that's kind of the whole view. It just is. Exactly. Okay. And that's what like philo- that's what like philosophies slash religions like Buddhism and Taoism encourage is that not the fact that you should like you know oh there's all this evil in the world how do they everything exists in an equal everything exists in an attempt to attain an equilibrium and a balance right and like people always karma karma is one of the most misunderstood concepts in Western society. Because we'll be like, oh, you know, do this. It's good karma. And like some people start to think like Buddhist enlightenment is achieved by having all this good karma. Okay. Karma is often described as a, like, think about it as a pond. Uh Uh-huh. So the idea, your ultimate goal to achieve enlightenment is to still all of the waves on that pond. Any action you take that is considered good or bad, it's it's throwing, like, so a good action is throwing rocks into the pond. Right. A bad action is throwing rocks into the pond. If the goal is still, if the goal is to still the pond, you're not trying to be good or bad. You're just trying to be. Yeah, yeah. Because no matter what you do, you're going to disturb that pond. If you define your reality simply as good or bad. Well, it, it, assuming that you throw the rocks. Well, no. Th- well, that's what I mean. Is like, good karma, bad karma, they are both dis- equal disturbances of that pond that is your mental state, your spiritual state. And the goal is to still yourself to a state of calmness, to a state of evenness, to a state of balance. Such that either you're throwing rocks into the pond in such a way that they balance each other out, or you're throwing no rocks at all. Okay. Okay. The, the idea is not the idea is not to be tilted towards one extreme or the other, but to balance them. Because like one of the biggest things I like about those philosophies is like Christianity and Islam basically teach you to deny your darker self. It, or, well, they tell you you have a darker self and to, that you're basically going to be in a constant battle your entire life to fight it. And so to, do they kind of say that there's, there is a duality within you, that you have two selves, kind of, and one's dark, one's light, almost? Well, so, like, think about the yin and yang symbol. There's light in the dark and dark in the light. Right. And, like, so people always want to think, like, oh, I want to be, like, uh, on one side of the thing, da 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 The goal is to be the line between... Oh, shit, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed uh, looking into a lot of philosophies, like, I I think balance is, like, a reoccurring theme with with virtually everything, almost. Yeah. Finding finding some equilibrium, some threshold. Well, because, I mean, that's, like, that's what gets more at the nature of our universe. Because our universe is going for an equilibrium. That's why energy distributes from high to low is that it's trying to reach an equilibrium. It's trying to distribute everything. So that's almost like a form of intelligence. You could like, say. So like everything trying to find the balance, trying to find the... Yeah, okay. I mean, I've found in my life I'm a lot better able to handle things ever since I started viewing reality that way. Really? Like, 
I, when, whenever things happen to me, I do not define them as good or bad. I define them as simply something that has happened. My reaction to it is what's going to determine whether it's yes. quote-unquote good or bad. Like, Which is all you can control. Yeah. Your reaction. Yeah. What happened, what is, what has happened, completely out of your control. Yeah. Makes sense that, yeah, yeah, you can... But that that also uh, ties into the past because ultimately you can only control the present moment, which in in results going to lead to how you can't control your future. But the past you can't let that that nostalgia eat you up either because you can't control it. It is. It just is. Well, yeah. I mean, like if you live in your past, you're doomed to be consumed by it. It's just that simple. Like. That's it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> well, if, if you want, we got hamburgers upstairs. Whatever works. Cool. Yeah, well, that concludes. Oh, that's, we made two hours. Damn. I love it. I love it. Well, dude, let me shake your hand. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I'm literally, like, fucking mind blown right now. I, just, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I, I'm definitely going to look up all these things. Because I, I think uh, a lot of these, like, like I, I'm going to watch some YouTube videos on quantum entanglement. And we, we didn't even talk about neural pruning on the, on the podcast at all. Damn, dude. You are a very smart guy. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, that concludes another episode of uh, Jordan's Subjective Perspective. If... Uh, you listen this far. I appreciate your time. I really do. I really do. Uh, do you have any send-offs, Joel? Uh, can I do a shameless plug right here? You go for it. I don't even know what that means. Uh, anyone who is interested in keeping up with my journeys and my endeavors in life, please feel free to check me out on Facebook, Joel Gators, or my Instagram, which is way cooler in my opinion. Hey. It is at Joel Does Jitsu. And if you like puppies... Fighting, or science, or just weird motherfuckers. Go check me out, <laughs> or die. Well, I, you know what I'm gonna do. I'll, I'll leave a uh, I'll leave a link to anything you want in the description of the YouTube and because uh, I eventually I want to get this on the podcasting app. So I'll, I'll oh, get on all shit. of that, and I, I'll just leave the description like in there if you'd like your ad name and all that. I'm just I just realized like. We didn't even remotely touch on martial arts, and I figured that was, like, the most of what we were going to talk about. That's what I thought, too, yeah. We, we like, barely, barely covered that whatsoever. Like, if you look at my notes, like, that's what I mainly... I was also...